Welcome to my party, we're just getting started A life is a dream or a nightmare scarring Hand me a drink cause I think I'm going all in Hey everybody, welcome back to the Red, Orange, and Blue podcast I'm your host as always, the Mexanadian And we are here to talk about this week in Detroit sports Primarily the Red Wings and the Lions Because those are the two seasons, those were, well, I should, yeah, were the only seasons worthwhile watching now the Lions is over. We'll get into that. Uh, the Red Wings are performing stellar right now, and the Pistons actually won a game today. That's your Pistons news for the day. Um, nothing really going on with the Tigers. They did sign somebody for like nine years at an $89 million contract. That's about all I know about the Tigers with spring training coming up. There should be more, though. And... Yes, let's get into it, starting off with the Lions NFC Championship game, and boy was this a whirlwind of emotions. Um, let's get this straight real quick. Uh, I am upset. I'm not upset that they lost. I'm upset at how they lost, because this team was was up by 17 points, and they blew it all in, like, what was it, like, eight minutes or something. So I, I would have been much happier with a blowout other than us. Well, than the lions losing like that, you know, losing 17 points in a matter of like eight minutes. So that stung a bit, but I want to get into how they lost this game. Cause the first half of the game was all lions. The lions offense was able to do whatever they wanted to. Jamo, St. Brown, Laporta, Gibbs, met, um, Monty, he was all golf. They were all going off in the first half, and it was at that point it looked like the Lions' game to lose, and of course they did because for whatever reason, it's the Lion in third quarters just don't mix, and I don't understand it. They just seem to have this entire complete collapse in the third quarter, and unfortunately this time it sunk into the fourth quarter, and they couldn't do anything about it. So we're gonna. Get, what I personally think lost this game is uh, it, it was a series of things. Obviously, what started the downfall was the bad bounces. You know, the one that went off their went off the face mask, and you know they ended up the, the, they managed to catch it off the bounce of the face mask. Only something like that could happen to the fucking lions. And then a fumble right after that that didn't help. So it was. A concoction of bad events that led to the downturn. But one of the biggest things that I think led to their collapse was, and I love the man, but Dan Campbell's aggressiveness. I understand it's his thing. He has, he and fairly, he's played, done this a lot of times in the season. He's had more, I believe they said that he had more fourth down plays like that than any other team in the league than any other coach in the league and it's true Dan Campbell's an aggressive coach there's no doubt about it and more often than not it's worked but when it comes to the NFC championship game if you the points are there for you to get you get the points you cannot be that aggressive all the time there is a place for it in the game like say in a situation where it's close you know, like the Dallas Cowboys game. That's a perfect example. Uh, they were down by one point with one play practically remaining for them to do. And they needed the two points. They went for the two points. They got the two points. The Lions win that game. Or they should have, but we'll get. that's not, that's not a topic for right now. Um, but that, it, 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 it stings more with that too. Because if he went for those two field goals and they got it, then the Lions are going to the Super Bowl. That's hands down. The Lions are going to the Super Bowl if they make those two field goals. But there wasn't even a chance to get it. You know, because at the end of the, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but at the end of the day, whether they, like, if they make that field, they if he makes both those field goals, perfect, boom, the Lions win the game. If they don't make both those field goals, when they're in the same exact situation as they are going into the second half and it's such a like I know nobody in the league except for the league itself can see the future there's no coach no quarterback no player in the league that can see the future but like I said in the NFC championship game you cannot take those risks that as much as you did in the regular season it's not it's just not something you can't do now 
do I believe Dan Campbell will learn from this? Yes. At the end of the day, it is his first. It, it, it's the first playoff set of playoffs he's coached in his entire tenure as coach. Uh, it's the first time that this Lions team has been to the playoffs. Like everybody on the Lions team is their first time being in the playoffs on the Lions, at least. And so it's a learning experience, but it it doesn't help to it 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 doesn't make it feel any better realistically because they they could have and should have won the game and while Dan Campbell's aggressiveness was a big part of it I think the other thing is oh, the bad bounces were a big part of it too but oh my god that second half the inability to catch the ball was one thing that was Horrible. Raymond dropped the fucking ball twice. Like, it got me thinking that maybe uh, there were times where I thought, is does Ray, uh, Reeves or not Reeves, Raymond have money on the 49ers to win or some shit like that? Like, I legitimately thought that for a little bit. And it's it like a lot of people did because he couldn't catch the ball to save his fucking life. And then obviously, JMO, he missed the touchdown catch that could have, you know, given the Lions the push they needed to get at least a tie game. Uh, that's unfortunate to say the least, but he was pressured, and what can you really do? Um, St. Brown got one look the entirety of the second half. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, he got one look the entirety of the second half. Why are you not going f- to your best guy in these situations? Amon Ross St. Brown is arguably the best player to have in a situation where you're at, you know, third and ten, third and just third and long, you give it to you give it to St. Brown and he goes for it. He will get you that first down one way or another. Yes, it's great to go to Laporta. He can get you five, six, seven yards. It's good to give it to Montgomery or Gibbs. They can get you pretty decently. We've seen it with Gibbs and Montgomery today. They can get you touchdowns from half the distance of the field. Like they can do all that stuff, but if you're in a clutch situation, you look to your stars that have been proven to get you out of these situations, and they didn't do that. St. Brown was just, a, like, um, was he being used as a decoy? I don't know. A decoy is only effective if you actually give the, him, the fucking ball to him. Like, it's, I don't understand. And then, not to mention, going for the run play, going for the run to get that last touchdown and screwing it up because you went for the fucking run instead of a pass. Like, I, and, and then you, it's such a wild game because they should have gone with the run more. It was, you've seen it the entirety of the first half. The 49ers could not stop the Lions' run game for the fucking life of them. They just couldn't do it. And the fact that you didn't hammer that home, like I understand, you can't just keep running, doing run plays every single play because eventually the teams are going to adjust and it's not going to be there anymore. So you got to throw in the, th- the passes and whatnot. But when you have a team like the 49ers who were so bad at stopping the run game and you have two superstar runners in David Montgomery and Yamir Gibbs, you go for the run. I don't care. You have two of them for that specific reason. And both with two very different skill sets. Montgomery is the workhorse. He can find those open spaces and get all the yards you need. Gibbs, the young, fast, flashy, quick runner who we seen it today he can juke the rest juke with the rest of them like he can move around and make people do things that they shouldn't do to have to stop them you know good on them for going with jmo a few times jmo really i mean he had a bad start to the year obviously but jmo is fantastic he megatroned his touch his first touchdown like that was almost a spitting image of what kelvin johnson did in his day but my God, some of the play calling was shocking. And yes, it led. It worked out most of the time until the third quarter. But that's what happens. And then on top of that, the defense, the defense. Oh, my God, the defense. And it's not even like the actual line. Like Hutchinson was fantastic. That The line was great. The fucking secondary was so bad. 
Cam Sutton, I cannot believe, was on this team for the fucking playoffs. Holy shit, did he get cooked in every single game. He got cooked several times in this game alone. Tampa Bay, he got cooked several times. There were, in no way, shape, or form, at any point during the playoffs or even the regular season, did Cam Sutton look like he he was supposed to be a starter on this team. And if you don't have anybody better on the sideline that you can replace Cam Sutton with, then there is a big problem that you need to address either in the draft or free agency. Because there is no goddamn reason he should still be on this team next year. Or at the very least, he should not be a starter on this team next year. He should be at best your third string guy for that for that spot. Like it's it was amazing how many times he alone fucked the Lions on defense. Like, he just whiffed several tackles. And speaking, we'll go, oh, we're going to get to the rest of the tackles in a bit because there were some big ones that should have been made. But him and uh, CJ Garner Johnson, like, I like him. I do. He's a veteran. This team needs veterans. But there's. He, he was so bad. So bad this game. And I can't see him being on the team next year. And he almost, I cannot, I still cannot get over. Like somebody in uh, one of the discords I'm a part of, they were talking about, doesn't matter, the Lions scored, which was the uh, Gibbs touchdown. And they were like, doesn't matter, Lions scored. And I'm like, no, it does matter. He's lucky that, Garner Johnson is lucky that Gibbs bailed him out on that. Because that was an incredible return on the interception. And it was all blown the fuck away because C.J. Gardner-Johnson couldn't put his personal vendetta or feelings aside and got a personal foul, which pushed the Lions back and negated all of that, t- all of the, the movement they had. He got bailed out by Ymir Gibbs and Jared Goff there. And I'm, I'm sorry, he's, if he's a true veteran, he would know you can't pull that shit in the playoffs, or at the very least, you can't pull that shit in the NFC Championship game against a team like the 49ers. He's just lucky, like I said, that Gibbs bailed him out. So it's, it's something that the Lions need to work on. They need a good secondary, because their, their secondary is not going to do it, you guys. I'm sorry, it's... It's just not. That's not new information either. If you're surprised, I'm sorry you've lived under a fucking rock your entire life. But the Lions secondary is so trash, and teams know it. They like every team going that plays the Lions knows it. Every analyst, every single Jake Randall, I guess we'll give him his name as a name. Jake Randall sitting at his home in his recliner with his. Bud Light knows that the Lions secondary is so fucking bad that it's they almost can't defend against the run game. Like it's almost it, it was well known the Lions suck at defending against not the run the game the passing game. So there's a lot of work that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell have to put in in the offseason during free agency and the draft. I think at the draft you go for somebody in the secondary somebody who can you know, be in that secondary area. And then, like, I love Jared Goff, but at the same time, you might have to start looking for another option. Now, I know they drafted somebody who was the backup today, and I love Jared Goff. I genuinely do. I don't think he's the franchise guy for this team. I I genuinely don't. Do I think he could in theory, lead the Lions to a Super Bowl? Yes. Do I think he could win a Super Bowl? I don't know. But we've seen what he can do. It's just he can't do it consistently, and he's going to get outperformed by the better quarterbacks in this league constantly. We've seen it today. We like He barely made it out of Mahomes, and that was like in the first game against Kansas City. He barely made it past Patrick Mahomes, and that's just because Patrick Mahomes didn't have his his guys who can actually do things. Um, and like our defense, just in general, needs work as well. So the Lions' season may be over, but they have work to do in the off season. They've got a lot of holes that still need to be filled. As far as offense goes, I think we're fine. The only nitpick I would have with them is, like I said, Jared Goff. But that I, I guess 
you know, having him for the next few years doesn't hurt the Lions. Um, and I do believe he can lead us to a Super Bowl. I just don't know if he can pull it out in the big game. So that's my thoughts on the Lions. And it's it's just fun to be it, – it, it was a fun season, you know. It's important to remember that nobody thought the Lions would make it this year. Like, yes, almost everybody took the Lions to win the NFC North. That was just something that people assumed was going to happen, and it did happen. But nobody expected the Lions to make it to the NFC North, NFC Championship, or even sniff the Super Bowl. You know, nobody expected them to be in this position three years into their rebuild. Granted, nobody expected Houston to make the playoffs with you know, one year into their rebuild, I think it was. But the, f- the point is, if they go in with this same team next season, with not the same exact team, obviously, you bring in some new guys, you draft some new guys, stuff like that, bring them in. Um, I think this team is going to be fun to watch for the foreseeable future. And it's this team is going to, this team should win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. If they keep playing like they did this season and fill the holes that they that need to be filled and figure out why they keep collapsing in the third quarter, then I th- I'm almost certain that this team will win a Super Bowl in the next five years at this point. Like, it's almost a given. Um, and Detroit's becoming a more desirable place to play for numerous sports. So f- high-end free agents are going to want to come he- come to Detroit to play. And, you know, people, guys who are drafted are going to be want to be drafted by the Lions. And so they're going to be more willing to prove themselves against the Lions, with the Lions and stuff like that. So it's going to be a, it's going to be fun to watch them build off the season and eventually get to the big game. Because if they can make it this season, they sure as shit can make it next season. And that's about all I've got on the Lions. So, like I said, fun to watch. I'm upset the season was over when it was. But at the same time, I cannot complain about the results of the season as a whole. So, with that, we're going to get into some Red Wings talk. Yes, Red Wings. I know that's what you guys come here for. Um, but realistically, the Red Wings had to, you know, let's get off of the mopey topic and go to a fantastic topic. And the Red Wings are fucking killing it. Um, they are currently, I believe, 8-1-1 eight, eight, one in, one in their last 10 or something like that. I can't remember. Um, I got to look this up. But they are killing it in January. Um, they lo- They have. They only lost one game this week. That was against Dallas Stars. We'll get into that. But first, they on Sunday took on Tampa Bay Lightning at home. Won two to one in regulation. Uh, goal scorers were Larkin, Comp- uh, Larkin and Sprung. Sprung had a beauty of a shot, and that was fan. It was. I mean, Larkin had a fantastic shot too. But um, or it was Raymond and Sprung. My bad. Larkin had the assist. I read the wrong thing. But big things from this game is that uh, Kane is definitely a superstar. And you're probably saying, well, he didn't even play. How do you know he's a superstar? Well, if you guys watched the broadcast, Ken Daniels said that uh, Patrick Kane went to Daniel Sprong and said, shoot low glove on Vasilevsky. That is exactly what Daniel Sprong did on his breakaway Beautiful shot, win in. He pointed up to Patrick Kane as Evan Lobsinger from the Wingold Podcast so eloquently put it. He pointed to a higher power, and I can't be mad at this game. Honestly, they played fantastically defensively. Um, their penalty kill was amazing, and you know the defense most cider, dude. I know everybody's looking at these, you know, these hockey stat cards and stuff like that, and most cider is. Close to the closer at the bottom of all of them. Don't look, don't trust those. Like those basically just use nothing but plus minus, and everybody knows how I feel about plus minus because it's a useless fucking stat. 
And most cider, the eye test says it all. He is still most cider. He is still incredibly defensively. He is still the best defenseman on this team. The only reason he doesn't get as much offense as people would like out of their defensemen for whatever reason, because defensemen are there to provide offense, I guess. But the only reason he isn't doing what he did in his rookie year points wise or even last year points wise I still think he's probably he could probably hit 50 points this year um if everybody else keeps playing good defensively but it's because he's getting the best matchups in the league like he is getting the top end matchups in the league more than any other defenseman in the league and it's not even fucking close him and Jake Wallman soar past the rest of the league in competition uh and in quality of competition through the through out of every defenseman in the league, and it's not even close. Like I think it was like eighty five percent, eighty five to ninety percent of the time, Mo Sider and Jake Wellman are on the ice. It's against other teams' top lines. So him not being able to provide as much offense as people want, which we'll get into that too, because he did provide quite a bit of offense in these last in these last few games. But him not being able to provide and put up the points that people would like think a, a defenseman should is purely because of that. There is no... And I, I was talking with somebody, I think it was a Toronto fan on Twitter a little while, uh, a few days ago, that, like... Because one of these uh, Twitter analysts who create these bullshit charts and whatnot said that uh, Lalonde should switch up Cider's minutes and so he can get simpler minutes and ease up his ease up his time and quality of competition so that way he can get some offense in to where and I responded I think you're a fucking moron who are you going to put up against the McDavid's and the Kucherov's of the world because legitimately who are you are you going to put Ben Sherratt are you going to put Justin Hall no you're not going to do that and I talked to a, uh, a Leafs fan about this in the comments of that post and he said if mo if you're if most if one player is so critical to your team's success then there's a bigger problem and to that i responded okay so if they took away austin matthews from the toronto maple leaves where do you think your team would be right now cuz right now they're battling it out with the with the red wings and the lightning for the wild card spots and third place in the atlantic and you know it, without austin matthews it would be tough now granted the the Maple Leafs have benefited from getting quite a few high draft picks. So William Nylander, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and then obviously they had John Tavares come over from the Islanders. And so they, if they're struggling now, can you imagine what they would be like without Austin Matthews? Like imagine if Arizona got Austin Matthews and not Toronto or say Anaheim or hell the Red Wings get Austin Matthews instead of Toronto like where do you think because they've built that team around Austin Matthews it's no mistake they built that team around Austin Matthews Mitch Marner and William Nylander they basically built it around the core four more or less but at the time they were building it around the three you know Nylander Marner uh Matthews so if you take one of those guys out well where does your team stand now Granted, at that point, it's very possible that because they don't have to pay Austin Matthews, you know, 10, 12, 13 mil anymore, they get better guys and surround Nylander, Marner, and Tavares with them. But does it equate to the same thing? Because without Austin Matthews, that team kind of struggles to score. Like, you take away Austin Matthews, and that's a big hit to your goal scoring. And yes, Marner provides really good offense. Nylander provides incredible offense. Tavares has not provided very good offense this season, but he's provided decent offense. You know, who do you have in that line, that in that league, uh, not the league, that team that can carry a team like Austin Matthews does? And the answer is nobody. I can't see William Nylander or Mitch Marner being the guys they build the team around. Because like I said, yes, they they're both really good offensively, but they're not guys you build a team around. You know, maybe Marner because he's a he's one if not the best two way forward in the league. But you know, my, I'm getting too much into this. But this is, feels like a whole separate topic now. But my point is, if you every team has almost every team, I should say, has that one guy that if you take that away from them, they're nothing. You know. Um, some exceptions would be Vancouver because they've got Pedersen, Hughes, Hronik, 
Miller, uh, Bozer, uh, Besser. You know, they've got those guys, but look at Edmonton. You take away Connor McDavid, who do you got? Leandro Isaitl, and that's it. Um, you go to you go to Pittsburgh. You take away Sidney Crosby. That team's dead, even more dead in the water than they are now. You go to Washington. You, t- you We were seeing it now. You go to Washington. Ovechkin's pretty much nothing right now. Look where they're at. They started off really good, but without that goal scoring that Ovechkin provided at one last season or in his previous years, without that being there now, then you've they're nothing. Like so, it it's all a matter of surrounding certain players with players that complement them, and Detroit's done that very well. Detroit did that has done that incredibly well so far. You know, they've built this team. They started building this team around Dylan Larkin. And then when Sider and Raymond came up, now they're starting to build around them. They're starting to bring in playmakers and other goal scorers who can score 15, maybe 20 goals a season to complement them in the bottom six. They're starting to bring in guys who can move the puck around. Patrick Kane, David Perron come to come to mind. Um, the bringing in grind guys like that Copras Fisher line is still fantastic. You know, they're bringing in those types of guys to make room for guys like Cider, like um, like Raymond, Larkin, now Debrinkit. So you've you've got a decent setup there, and that's what uh, I, I lost track of where this was going. But that's what most we're talking about most cider I don't know how I got into this whole conversation but whatever we're sticking with it that's how you build a team unfortunately Detroit's rebuild has not been I'm not going to say not successful because obviously they if they keep up the pace they're in they're going to make the playoffs but right now as it stands they're still technically rebuilding now yes Eisenman made some big pushes this season to make that next step but unfortunately that cost the Red Wings a whole set of rookies that could have been up here Edvinson Edvinson 100% should still been up here Berggren should have been up here like I love Christian Fisher I really do but if Berggren should have been in here instead of Christian Fisher um you know, there's there was so much that this team could have done with their rookies, and they just didn't do it. But next year is going to be different. Obviously, we're going to have contracts off the books that like Ghost of Spare is not staying. I don't believe he's staying, and I don't really want him to stay. But he, the he Edvinson's going to be a replacement for him, and we'll see if Eisman's able to make any moves at either at the deadline or in. You know, during a trade, during the trade, uh, the draft, or something like that, to move another defenseman or two, uh, or just move some more guys in general. Because I think if I think uh, Eiserman is going, I feel like Eiserman's going to resign Sprong. Um, I think that is a guy that Eiserman wants to resign, and it's all a matter of how much he's asking for as well. But regardless, we're getting off topic. Most cider is. Yes, most cider is critical to this team, and if you take away most cider from the blue line, this team hurts a lot because you cannot put up like Schrott's been fantastic defensively this season. He's really stepped up his game and gone done much better than he did last season, and he, he's just been great. Do I trust him on the top pairing with Jake Wollman? No. Do I trust Justin Hall on the top pairing? Fuck no, I don't. Do I trust Jeff Petrie on the top pairing? Not really. Um, like, she, Ghost of Spare has been on the top pairing with Cider a few times when Wallman was out. Um, you might, might be able to throw Mata up there, but I don't think Mata could handle going up against the, each team's top pairings that often. So... You really, like, yes, if you take away Mosider, is the most important part of this team. He's the most important player on this team. And it's not obvious, to, it's obvious to see that. Um, and in all these games, he's made some critical plays. Like, he almost, like, he almost single-handedly neutralized Kucherov this game. Yeah, Kucherov still got a point on the one goal that they had, on the Hedman goal. But 
for the most part, Cider was on Kucherov like fucking like a fly to, like a fly on shit. He was on Kucherov, and it's almost like Cider is going out. Like I'm pretty sure Cider is going to Lund, looking at each team's top guy and being like, "That's my guy," and he's doing it well. He showed it in. He showed it in most of these games. The Dallas game is an exception, and boy, do I got some stuff to say about this game because holy shit. I have never seen a team, except for the Lions, play so stellar in one period, and the next period, they immediately collapse. And it seems to be a thing with Detroit sports teams. I do not know. Um, But this was not good for the Detroit Red Wings because they they went into this game... They played fantastically the first period. Robertson got the first goal from da- for Dallas, but after that, Perron gets his 10th of the season and DeBrinket gets his 18th of the season. Both beautiful shots. Then we go into the fourth period. Detroit's going in the fourth period. The second period, Detroit's up 2-1. to one. Marchman scores 22 seconds in. Rope Hintz scores 4.5 minutes in. Lindell scores 11 minutes and 40 seconds in. Hintz, again, scores 15, and 12, 15 minutes and 12 seconds in. Four unanswered goals in the second period. And Detroit did not look good. And Lyon didn't have the best period either. Do I put that period on him? No. God, no. Fuck, no, I don't. Lyon did what he could with what was in front of him. And unfortunately, that team let, up, let in way too many perfect chances for the Dallas Stars to get into this game. Uh, power play was perfect though except for the last one at the end of the at the end of the game because it was like I don't know 30 something seconds but regardless, third period comes in uh, Larkin scores and Co- Larkin and Comfer score to get the Red Wings two more goals to make it a one goal game. the power play happens they aren't able to convert on it. And unfortunately, the Dallas Stars beat the Red Wings five for four, five to four in regulation. That's a game that you kind of have to win because if you look at the standings now, we'll get into it. But that losing that game allowed Toronto and Tampa to pull ahead in the standings more than you would tech really like. But it's I mean it's still close. It's not like either team's running away from the Red Wings. But we'll get into the standings later. Uh, but then they came back uh, on Thursday to take on the Philadelphia Flyers. If you guys remember the last game, it was like 6-5 to five from a shootout, and then before that, Philly won one nothing. This game, the Red Wings won 3 nothing, and Alex Lyon came back from that, from being pulled in the Dallas game and looked stellar. Holy shit, did Alex Lyon look good. And this was a fun game to watch, too. Uh, no scoring in the first or the third. Everything came in the, th- came in the second, and it was all Detroit, like I said. Dylan Larkin scored a minute and 30 into the game. Uh, Cider gets his sixth of the season. Oh, that was Larkin's 20th of the season, by the way. Cider gets his sixth of the season, uh, seven minutes, 15 seconds into the game. And then Andrew Kopp gets a shorthanded goal. This was beautiful, dude. That was so good. And it was all from Rasmussen. Uh, Petrie basically shot it up to get it to Rasmussen just to kill off time on the power play. Rasmussen, uh, Rasmussen shoots it deep. Or I think Petrie shot it deep. Rasmussen goes in the corner, battles. Detroit's changing. Cop goes out there for Larkin. He skates it. Uh, Ras- and it almost looked like Philadelphia gave up on the board battle because Rasmussen gets it pretty easily. And he's able to feed it to Cop, who's able to just skate right into that shot. And it was a beauty of a shot, shorthanded. Man, that was such a good goal. Andrew Cop's been playing fantastically ever since he's been put on that on that line with Rasmussen and Fisher. Uh, Fisher's another guy I wouldn't mind them re-signing in the offseason for like two more years, but that also uh, once again leaves a clog at at the forward position for a guy like Berggren to come up. Um, But regardless, uh, Detroit wins that that game 3-0, and then the game that I think was going to be a bigger tell-all than any of these other games, like Dallas and Tampa both our playoff our playoff uh, teams and are looking like contenders. Philadelphia wasn't going to be a contender in the first place, but they were. They are above the playoff line right now, but they've lost like five straight, I think. But the Vegas Golden Knights, the defending Stanley Cup champions, coming in to the Red Wings barn, and this was a, going to be a test because Vegas, if you guys remember has not been kind to Detroit. Vegas has always been a big beat-em-up style team, obviously. We've seen that last year when they won the Cup. 
Um, but they came in, and they didn't look like they were here to play. They really didn't. They looked like that they booked their tickets home, and that's all they could think about. Um, so Larkin opens up the scoring five minutes in. Gets his 21st of the season. He's on an 11-game point streak now uh, from Debrinkin and Raymond. Then Wallman gets his 10th of the season, becoming the 10th Red Wing, or the that becoming the 9th Red Wing, my bad, to hit double-digit goals this season. Uh, then Barbashev and Cotter score to tie it up, but then at the end of the game, at the end of the p- first period, or close to it, 18, 18 minutes, 17 seconds in, Joe Valeno gets a power play goal from Sider and Fabry, and I don't know how this went in, honestly. I genuinely don't know. I've watched it time and time again. I don't know how it went in. Because the way he shot it and the way that it came off of his stick, it looked like it was going wide straight to, like, I think it was Fabry. And then Fabry, or no, straight to Debrinket, and I thought Debrinket was going to tap it in, but no, somehow that fucker went in the net behind Thompson, and it still baffles me because I still can't figure out how the fuck it went in. Um... But that's Valeno's ninth. Cop becomes the tenth Red Wing to get double-digit goals with ten, and then Larkin gets his second of the night, twenty-second of the season, on the empty net. Detroit wins five to two, and boy, was this a fun! This was a good win. Now, it comes with a caveat because during this game, I was at my parents' house, family game night, and if you follow me on Twitter, you guys would know that I, at the time was and still am the longest I, I was the longest reigning family game night champion at the time and unfortunately it I it, it didn't go well for me it didn't unlike the Red Wings it didn't go well for me we went in played cards against humanity it ended up being a three-way tie because we put like a time limit on it uh, because none of us really wanted to be up because there was like 13 of us playing and none of us wanted to be up all night playing cards against humanity so we put a time limit on it and it came down to a three-way tie between me my dad and my older sister and boy oh boy i was so close to keeping my title and it did not work i lost my title the longest reigning Family Game Night champion lost his title to his older sister. It's unfortunate, but hey, like they say, winners. I don't know. I was going. I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, you win some, you lose some. I guess. Um, I am still. I still hold the record for the longest reign of fam- the longest Family Game Night championship reign at a year, almost a year and a half. And no one can take that away from me. It's never going to get broken. At least I hope it doesn't get broken, but it's never going to get broken. And I can live with that. I'm going to win it back again next family game night. So it's 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 uh, it's just going to happen. <coughs> Sorry, I haven't drank anything yet. Um, but on top of the, during all these games, two things were consistent. Most Sider has been fantastic defensively. He's made some really, really good defensive plays in the Vegas game. Um, and during the Philly game, he was blocking the shots constantly. But another person who I haven't mentioned yet, Alex Lyon. And it shouldn't come as a surprise. Alex Lyon really is the primary reason that the Red Wings are as firm in the playoff race as they are now after that horrible December. Um... And I'm going to get into that a little bit, too, because I have some stuff to say about it. But it's so obvious that Alex Lyon is the calm, confident presence that this team needed in the net. Because you could tell when Reimer and Huso were in there, the team played nervous around them. The team played around them like they couldn't, they had to do everything in their power to not let them shoot the puck. And that involved a lot of times putting themselves out of position and allowing bad shots on goal. And with Alex Lyon, you just don't see that. You don't see that from the team when Alex Lyon is in net. Um, now, Huso is back, and he looks like he might be back to form. He came back, went on a one-game conditioning stint in Grand Rapids, got a shutout 3 nothing in his one and only AHL game down there. And I, I want to get into this too because I got into a fucking big argument on, about with somebody 
about this when because I believe it was the Hockey Town West podcast. They are Grand Rapids Griffins podcast. Uh, shout out to them. But they posted the they posted the video of him receiving first star of the night for the three nothing shutout in uh, Grand Rapids. And somebody underneath it, some douchebag underneath it, commented uh, in the AHL where he belongs, and that irked me. That straight up irked me. Because Billy Huso, like they went on this whole tangent about how Billy Huso wasn't an NHL goalie, but Billy Huso, his first playoff game was a shutout, and I did get my facts wrong a little bit in this one. I said Huso was the goalie that got them to the playoffs where they won, but no, uh, Jake Allen won, uh, got them in there, and then Bennington went sicko mode in the playoffs, but. You know, his whole thing was Huso was like he ended it by saying, "Continue, good, continue defending a goalie who his entire time with the Red Wings has three goals against and a sub 900 save percentage." And I didn't even respond because it was like just slamming my head through a fucking reinforced brick wall. But if you're a whole thing about Huso not being a good goaltender is because is looking at his numbers, then you have to also look at the people who were in front of him at that time. When Huso came in last season, the top pairing for the first half of the season was Mort Sider and Ben Sherratt. And his backup was well, not his backup, I'm pretty sure he was, he was supposed to be the backup to Alex Nedeljkovic, but Nedeljkovic started so poorly and so he couldn't so he got sent down to Grand Rapids and all that um, and so Huso's backup at the time was Magnus Helberg well Magnus Helberg wasn't much of an upgrade wasn't really an upgrade wasn't an upgrade at all to Alex Nadelkovich. Um I love Magnus Helberg I genuinely do like I've been a proponent of if we were going to fucking sign James Reimer we may as well have just kept Magnus Helberg because they're basically the same goalie except Magnus Helberg is a cool and kind Viking with incredible pads like his pad game is on par is like par not par none but it, it he did he was overplayed because Nedeljkovic didn't play well and his the only other option was Magnus Helberg and you, Magnus Helberg was like is what 35 so you can't really overplay. You can't play him too much. It's the same thing with Reimer. But so you can't play him too much. And also he's a career backup. So you're not going to play him a lot anyways. So it's it was one of those things where he got overplayed. The team in front of him wasn't giving him anything to work with. And confidence took a hit. When your confidence as a goalie especially takes a hit, you start performing very badly. We've seen it all over the league. Campbell and Edmonton. Um, Ranta in Carolina, you know, you see it everywhere in the league, and it's uh, being a goalie is more mental than physical, really. So, basing it off of that, and then this season, it looked like the injury that he had last season carried over to this. And while he wasn't great in his in the first half of the season, I don't think he was necessarily horrible. His glove hand's horrible, mind you. But I don't think he was necessarily horrible. The defense in front of him was just that fucking bad. Now it looks like they've tightened things up, and if Huso's back on his game and the defense stays the way they are, who this goalie tandem of Huso and Lyon will 100% get you to the playoffs and maybe even win you a few games, you know? So it's definitely going to be something interesting to watch because at this point... If Huso's, like I said, if Huso's back on his thing and he's doing great, then Reimer's the odd man out. And do you move Reimer? And now I've talked to people and some people, a lot of people I've talked to say they can't see them carrying three goalies the rest of the season. Personally, I disagree. Personally, I feel as though they might even into the playoffs just for the sole fat, just for the sole reason that having three goalies in the playoffs could be good. Um, you know, if one goalie goes down... And it goes that like it's all just precautionary because say, you, like your playoff starter is more likely than not going to be Alex Lyon. But say Alex Lyon goes down in the playoffs because as we know, the playoffs are a more rough and tumble thing. They are more rough and tumble and they are more heavy hitting and no penalties called than the regular season. That's just a fact. So, 
say somebody takes a run at your goalie accidental or on purpose and then they go out with an injury well then shit like hypothetically lion gets run no run over accidentally or on purpose he's out for a for a game or two well further well go on the extreme say for the rest of the playoffs well then who do you have for your goaltending in the playoffs who so in hutchinson no that's not gonna happen You'll, you, Husso and Reimer would be better because Reimer is an NHL goaltender, much like Husso is. Fuck off, and it's going to. It would. It'll be nice to have two NHL caliber goaltenders. In case it, it'll be nice, it, it'll just be nice because you want to. You would more want to have more NHL caliber goaltenders and not play one than not have enough. And end up short, you know, because there was a very good chance that if Detroit didn't sign both Lyon and Reimer in this game in the season, that when Huso went out with injury, or even if they didn't sign just one of the one of Lyon or Reimer, that if Huso and say they don't sign Reimer, Huso and Lyon go out with injury, your goalie tandem at that point would more than likely be Michael Hutchinson. And probably John Lethman. Because you're not going to bring Kosa up. We've seen what happened with Wallstead when they brought him up in his first game. He got lit up for seven goals against Dallas, I'm pretty sure. So you don't want to bring up so you don't want to bring up Kosa until you know for a fact that he's ready. Um so it'd probably be John Lethman, who is under contract with the Red Wings, but the problem with John Lethman is that he's basically a career ECHLer. I think he played for Grand Rapids last season. But with Kosa and Hutchinson down there, then obviously you're going to end up having Lethman in the ECHL. It's just what's going to happen. And Lethman's not a bad goaltender. It's just he's not an NHL goaltender. Because if he was an NHL caliber goaltender, he would be in the NHL right now, or at the very least the AHL, but he's not. So... It could have avoided disaster, so that's why I think they're going to carry three goaltenders through the rest of the season. Um, I could be wrong, though. It could be that Iserman sees this as not going into the trade deadline as, hey, there are still two, three, four teams in this league that need goaltenders. Like, Philadelphia just lost their star goaltender, so maybe they want Reimer. Um, Jersey needs a goaltender. Carolina still needs a goaltender. You know, there's goaltenders that are needed around the league. So maybe he sees that as an opportunity and be like, all right, we're still technically rebuilding. But we, like, maybe we're technically rebuilding. So maybe I try to move Reimer to get something out of him you know maybe it's it's likely going to be nothing more than like i think at most for reimer you could get a third round pick um but that even that seems high the promise is no movement clause but that's besides the point so it'll be interesting to see what happens when huso comes up because i don't think he's taken that starting spot away from lion unless huso comes in and just performs vesna caliber um, which even that might not be enough because Lion's been performing as Vesna caliber. So it'll be tough, but I'm interesting to see uh, where it goes. And, but regardless of who's, like I said, if who's back on his, in his flow and Lion keeps playing the way he is, the Red Wings are 100% making the playoffs. And that's, that's just a fact. Um, and because if you look at the standings now, for the wild card race, Detroit is currently fifth in the Atlantic. They are one point behind Toronto and uh, two points behind Tampa Bay for third and the first wild card spot. They're in the second wild card spot. They're uh, uh, they're seven points. No, yeah, seven points ahead of. Uh, I'm doing math wrong. Five points. I don't know where seven came from. Sorry, I had to do... I couldn't... It's fucking two in the morning, all right? Sue me. I couldn't do simple math in my head. I'm tired, all right? It's been an emotional day for me. But there's six points... There are five points ahead of uh, the Islanders. And they're... Yeah, five points ahead of the Islanders. Six points ahead of the Penguins. Six points ahead of the Penguins, Devils, and Capitals. Uh, and they're 
quite a bit ahead of the Sabres, Canadians, Blue Jackets, and the Senators because the Senators just kind of fucking suck this year. Um, so it's it, it's going to – I mean, the Atlantic's going to be fun. You're starting to see a bit of a separation, it looks like, between the teams, and if Detroit can keep playing the way they are, then, yeah, you're going to see separation between from the Islanders, Rangers – and from the Rangers, the Islanders, the Penguins, the Devils, and the Capitals. Because the Capitals, they've dropped entirely. Uh, the Islanders can't seem to get anything going. They're, what, 2-6-2 two, and two in their last 10. Uh, Pittsburgh is 4-3-3 three, and three in their last 10. New Jersey is 3-6-1 and one in their last 10. And Washington's 4-5-1 and one in their last 10. So it's looking more and more... Like, there's going to be a separation, but you can't... Obviously, you can't count out the Penguins. The Devils, they're Jack Hughes-less, so they're... If he comes back in time, then maybe they'll probably make a push. Uh, Washington's done, essentially, I don't think. I mean, they're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, But then you got to watch out for the Metropolitan as well. Because that race is getting tight. Um, Philadelphia is third in the Metropolitan. They've lost five straight. They're five and five in the last ten. And they're only uh, five, six points away from the Islanders. Four points. I can't do math right now, you guys. Sorry about that. But they're, they are six points ahead of... Uh, no, four points ahead of the Islanders. So... And five points ahead of the Penguins and Devils and Capitals. So the the Flyers could drop out of that race as well, and then they would be right there contesting with the Red Wings and the Maple Leafs. So you, if you're a Red Wings fan, you really just kind of want Philadelphia to win and stay in that third spot because the last thing you want is a team with 56 points to come into a race for the wild card spot when you've got when you're only one point ahead of them. And the team above you is only two points ahead of them. So it's going to be a wild race in the Atlantic. And if we take a look at the West, that's pretty much almost done and said uh, said and done for. You know, you're in the Pacific, your teams that are going to make the playoffs, Vancouver, Edmonton, or Vancouver, Vegas, Edmonton, Colorado, Dallas, Winnipeg, they're likely all going to make the playoffs. And we're going to get into Edmonton in a bit. Don't worry about that. Uh, The wild card. Boy, has L.A. just dropped. They had that incredible start to the season, broke the record for the undefeated streak on the road, and then they just fell flat on their face. They are 2-5-3 in their last 10, and those two wins are the only two wins they have in the entire month of January, if I'm not mistaken. So it's bad in LA. They're tied with their one point. They're tied with St. Louis in the wild card spot, and they are one point ahead of the Predators, two points ahead of the Kraken, and five. No, I think that's yeah, that's five points ahead of the Coyotes. So the West, as far as the seeded spots are go, they're one hundred percent decided. Um. But if you look at the wild card in the West, it's not even close to decided yet. So it, hockey's fun this year, you guys. What can I say? Um, but besides the playoff picture, I want to. I'm, I mean, I'm going to talk about Edmonton because 16 wins straight. The league record is 17, so they need to win two more games in a row to break the record. Do I think they can do it? Very much so. I think they can do it. Um, now, is it going to be a challenge? Of course it's going to be a challenge, but it was a challenge just to win the fucking 16 in a row regardless. Um, so their next games, they don't play again until after the All-Star break. Um, and after the All-Star break, their first game is against Vegas. Vegas has been slumping as well. And then after that, the game that they need to win well, they need to win a game, the game against Vegas, which I think is 100% doable. Um, although they'll probably have Aiden Hill in there, so that it, it'll be difficult. But then if they manage to beat that, the team they have to go through in order to win and hold possession of the longest win streak in league history is the Anaheim Ducks. That's the team they got to beat to get that 18th win straight. That is absurdly stupid. 
Granted, the team after that is L.A., so they might just go fucking 19. Um, and then they go into Detroit on the 13th of next month. Um, so, yeah, it or they, they don't go into Detroit. They are uh, at home, and Detroit goes there. But, yeah, Edmonton is just a fucking machine. Uh, McDavid is climbing, climbing, climbing up the fucking points charts. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, a hot take to say he might just catch Kucherov. So, very interested to see how the Edmonton, how Edmonton season is going to go. But they're almost a bona fide playoff team at this point. So, yeah, it's wild. It's not fair that at any point in time, if Edmonton's doing bad, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl and Zach Hyman and Nugent Hopkins, they can just. Flick a flick a fucking switch, and they're just scoring, 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 just nonstop, just piling it on at every single turn. It's just not fair, man. I don't like it, and I think they should be tried for war crimes. That is my take. Um, so let's get into a less war crimey theme, and let's do our uh, prospect report this week. And this week, it is going to be on Nate Danielson. Nate Danielson, he was just traded a little while ago to um, uh, the Portland Winter Hawks, and uh, he's been doing great. I think he's got a, I think he's a point per game in uh, Portland right now. He's got uh, yeah four points in four games, not four points in every game because his first game there I think he had like three points so it's going to be great Nate Danielson obviously as you guys know was drafted this year in 2023 and there was some controversy around him there was some controversy around Nate Danielson in that he didn't have the stats in his draft year that you would like to see for somebody who's in the draft Um, 22-23 in 68 games he had 33 goals 45 assists for 78 points. And while that's good, those aren't the counting stats you'd want for somebody who is a who is taken in the top 10. Now, granted, he was projected to go in the middle of fir- mid-first round range. Um, he was projected to go like in at the spot that Detroit took Axel Santin Pelica, oddly enough. Um, but boy, has he been fantastic we saw him in preseason and the question behind Nate Danielson like I said was because he was an overdraft overager for his for the draft so it was was he just good enough was he just old because he was older and bigger than everybody in his league that he was physically dominating them and that's why he's projected to go in the first or is it just because he he didn't have good enough teammates and that's why he didn't have the counting stats because if you look, everybody who watches, who did reports on Nate Danielson or watched Brandon Wheat King games, you would see, you, they would all say the same thing that he walked out of a game with one or two points when he should have had like four or five. And it's just because the Brandon Wheat Kings suck and they don't have a team that can actually help somebody like with Nate Danielson's talent. And we, like I said, we saw it in preseason. He scored the first preseason goal for Detroit and he looked fantastic offensively and defensively. And in Portland, he's not slowing down in six games with the winter Hawks. He's got two goals, six assists for eight points. Um, and in the world juniors, he had one goal, two assists for three points in five games and that devastating knockout for Canada. And he looked good in all of them. Um, right now, he I know plus minus is a useless stat, but he's a plus set. He's a was that plus eight right now, so that's good. Um, and yeah, it's I'm excited for Nate Danielson. Everybody should be excited for Nate Danielson, and that's solely because he is almost exactly like. Dylan Larkin like he's not nearly as fast as Dylan Larkin was because Dylan Larkin at his point like he broke the NHL's speed record um and he uh he's just an incredible two like I see him more as a Mitch Marner prototype than Dylan Larkin because he is incredible and an incredible uh team two-way forward and that is he's going to I think his ultimate ceiling is a potential 1C 
but Larkin's going to keep that job for pretty much the entire time that he's on this team, which I hope is the entirety of his career. But he, so he is going to more likely than not be the second line center, unless Casper starts lighting shit up, which he's been doing it. He's been looking really good in Grand Rapids, but we're not doing a prospect report on Mark and Casper doing on Nate Danielson. And Nate Danielson is almost certainly slotted into that 2C role for the Detroit Red Wings. And I cannot be happier with his development. Um, it's looking, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the team next year, but I don't think that's going to happen because we all know how Steve Eiserman is with his prospects. He wants them to like a cider and Raymond were complete outliers. Um, they just performed that well that they had no choice, but to make room on the roster for him. And I'm not saying Nate Danielson doesn't do that. Nate Danielson 100% could do that. And there's a very, very good shot that he does. But in Nate Danielson's case, if he's going to be this play the style of hockey that he plays, he needs to, in my opinion, go to the AHL, learn how to play that fast-paced pro-level hockey, and build up more NHL muscle so that way he can properly play that role. Because you know 100% Nate Danielson's going to be trusted on the penalty kill and the power play once he gets up to snuff. So if he can get to that point faster, then I do 100% believe he goes to the AHL before the Red Wings. Um, and that's that. That's just something that should happen, in my opinion. Um, but that's just my opinion. I, I, I'm not a scout or a coach or a general manager for very good reason, because I suck at all that stuff. But it's just my observation. I believe he will benefit more... From playing uh, one year in the AHL in Grand Rapids over coming straight up to the main roster. And like I said, there's nothing saying he can't absolutely blow the fucking doors down like Cider and Raymond did and make this roster day one out of camp. There's nothing saying he can't do that. I'm just saying it's unlikely. Not unlikely, but not the best course of action for somebody like Nate Danielson. He needs the NHL muscle. He needs to get up to NHL game speed. And that is, that's how he's going to be able to stick with this roster and stick on time. Because personally, I believe if Nate Danielson reaches a ceiling, he's going to be on this team for almost for probably his entire career or most of it. And I firmly believe that once Larkin retires, if Nate Danielson's still on this team, Nate Danielson is your new captain. That is my thoughts, period. Um, he's, he, I mean, yeah, people talk about Cider should be captain, stuff like that. I love Cider, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's a captain. I don't think he's captain material. Um, yes, he was captain for Team Germany uh, during the World Juniors at one point, I'm pretty sure. And that's fine. That's great. He's grand. I'm sure he made a good captain. But at the NHL level, I don't think he's the captain. And the reason I say Nate Danielson is because he is almost the exact image of leadership that Larkin has. And that's why I think Steve, or whoever's the GM at the time, will look to him to be the captain of the next captain of the Red Wings, if it's possible. That's a hot take. I'm well aware. Everybody tells me it's a hot take. I'm well aware. I don't care. It's my take. I'm taking it. Uh, but yeah, that is my prospect report on Nate Danielson. He currently has, like I said, eight points in six games with the Winter Hawks. He was 26 points from 26 games with Brandon before he was traded. He's playing fantastically. I don't think there's any need to worry about Nate Danielson's development whatsoever. Because um, he already got reps with the big boys in preseason. And... He played fantastically, so I don't think he's going to suffer at all if he goes to the AHL. It can only help him. And yeah, I'm I'm excited for this kid. He's going to be he's going to be fantastic. Um, and so next, I want to get into a bit more serious news that everybody knows at this point. But I, I since I only do this podcast once a week, I'm only just now being getting being able to get around to it. Um, the uh. Team Canada sexual assault scandal from 2018 from the World Juniors. That has finally come to a bit of a head where the London police, London in Canada, by the way, I don't know what fucking province it's in because it's Canada. I don't care. 
but he he uh, London police said that the five players who were involved have uh, sh- or have to turn themselves in, and those five players are speculated to be. Michael McLeod, Carl Foot from New and Carl Foot from New Jersey, Carter Hart from Philly, Dylan Dubé from Calgary, and Alex Foreman. Now Alex Foreman came out today, I believe, or yesterday technically, since I'm recording this at two in the morning, that he had turned he had just turned himself into London police, uh, claiming innocence as he as everybody here probably will. Um, Foreman obviously was playing in Europe, and he had a weird deal with Ottawa where they still held the rights for him to be signed, but he was allowed to play in Europe, or like he was loaned over there. Or whatever. It was a really weird thing. Um, but, yep, obviously Michael McLeod and Carl Foote, Carter Hart, Dylan Dubé, we haven't heard anything else from them. All of their teams put out statements saying they were granted leaves of absence. Uh, uh, granted leaves of absences and I want to put something out here a lot of people are immediately jumping to conclusions that these people were 100% involved in it uh, that has not been confirmed nor denied uh, except for Alex Formenton now it's not hard to put two and two together obviously the timing of it is uh, convenient I guess to say the least but it is important to Keep the keep in mind with the legal system it is innocent until proven guilty. Um, so I will not give my personal thoughts on this. All I can say is the names of the players who are suspected and alleged to be part of this, because these all these guys were part of team that team Canada, and they all it was convenient that every team granted them a leave of absence. Now in the case of Dylan Dubé, they said it was. He was granted a leave of absence citing mental health reasons. So there is a very decent possibility that that could legitimately be the thing. But like I said, I'm not giving my uh, actual what I think about the situation. I'm just giving you the facts because that's all I can do. It is very important with stuff like this not to jump to facts because that's how people's lives get ruined if they don't deserve it. Um, Now, granted, if these guys are all proven guilty, fine, ruin their lives. I don't give a shit. But until it is proven that they did it, it is important not to jump straight to conclusions and not attack anybody involved that is involved with them. So it's important to not go after family. It's important to not go after teams or general managers. It is important to keep in mind innocent until proven guilty. And that is all I'm going to say on this topic. So, with that, I think we're going to end it there. Um, Sorry for the bit of a somber ending to it, but, you know, I... This is a depressing episode, apparently. Um, So... Yeah, let me know what you guys think about everything. Uh, You can obviously listen to this on Spotify, Amazon. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're on iTunes now, but I'm not 100% sure about that, so don't trust me on that yet. Uh, YouTube, all that good stuff. So, leave me a rating if you want. Uh, if you're on YouTube, leave a comment, leave a like, stuff like that. And, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I am your host, The Mexanadian, and I will talk to you guys later. Adios. Welcome to my party, we're just getting started A life is a dream or a nightmare scarring Hand me a drink cause I think I'm going all in Get me a shrink